I remember when I was in high school and I was writing an essay for a scholarship, I wrote that healthy communities are happy communities and that I wanted to come back to my community to make it healthy so it can be happy. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you're listening to the Women in Wyoming podcast series, where I talk with inspiring and influential women around the state and learn about their lives, journeys, and how they got to where they are today. This is Chapter 2, Filling the Void. This chapter features women around the state who address a need or opportunity within themselves, their communities, or out in the world. The void is also symbolic of Wyoming's vast open landscapes, so you'll hear from women in this chapter who come from some of Wyoming's more rural areas as well. This time, Dr. Diane Noten. Dr. Diane has dedicated her life to practicing medicine in small towns in Wyoming, first in Saratoga, then Matitsi as a family medicine practitioner, and now as an emergency room physician in Worland, Wyoming. During our interview, I learn about Diane's dream to become a doctor, as well as her drive to be the doctor often where no one else is practicing, and how she filled her own personal void of finding more balance between work and life. Here's Diane. Sitting here with Dr. Diane Noten in Matitsi, Wyoming. And Diane, you were born in Chicago, Illinois, but you went to high school in Matitsi. So how did you get from Chicago to Matitsi, Wyoming? My dad worked for IBM, and so I was born in Chicago, and then he always wanted to live out west, and he got a job in Billings, and then we moved to Dallas. And when we were in Dallas, it was too big. I didn't like living there, and I asked my parents if I could move to Matitsi with my aunt and uncle for high school, and they let me. And that's how I ended up in Matitsi. I, I lived with my aunt and uncle, and my parents ended up moving to Denver, and I would spend time down there too. Your family does have really deep roots in Wyoming, in encampment, which is the, in the south central part of the state, population 450 people, very small. Did you grow up going there as a kid? Yes, I started going there when I was six months old, and I've spent time every single summer of my entire life there. I'm fifth generation in encampment. They came in 1879, and then when I had the first opportunity to move there, I did, and had first part of my career down there as well. When did you realize that you wanted to go into medicine and pursue becoming a doctor? When I was five years old, my sister got a doctor's kit for Christmas and I got a doll. And I cried and I cried and I cried until they took the doll back and got me a doctor's kit. And then when I was 10 years old, my dad was tucking me into bed and he said, well, what do you think you want to be when you grow up? I said, well, I want to be a doctor, but women can't be doctors. And he goes, of course you can be a doctor. Women can be anything they want. You can be anything you want to be. I said, then I'm going to be a doctor. And that was the end. Do you remember why you thought that at the time? I really don't because my pediatrician when I was little was female. So I have no idea where that came from. Mm -hmm. Because I, I'm from a family of girls. I'm from a family of accomplished women dating back generations. So I really don't know how that idea got in my head. After that, I really pursued more math and science, and I became a candy striper at the hospital and just started engaging in shadowing in medicine. Your undergrad at UW is human nutrition, which doesn't seem like the traditional path when pursuing medicine. So why, why choose to study human nutrition at, for your bachelor's? My home ec teacher in Matitsi was probably my biggest mentor through high school, and that's what she had studied was human nutrition and then she became a home ec teacher. So on one hand, she was definitely a role model for me. Secondly, I always thought that I needed something if I didn't go into medicine, I needed something 
that I could do. So if you go into biology, there's not as many jobs out there because I certainly wasn't going to be like a research scientist. I needed something with people contact. Secondly, I knew that they didn't teach a lot of nutrition in medical school at that time. And so I wanted to have that base of knowledge prior to being a doctor. After you finished your bachelor's, what was the next step for you? Once I got accepted into medical school, I was going to go into medicine no matter what. You don't have to decide till your last year of medical school what you're going to be. But one thing that was always frustrating to me in medical school is I always said, I'm going to be a family physician. And I can't tell you how many of the doctors around me, all the preceptors would say, you're too good for that. You should go into something else. You're too good for family medicine. That always frustrated me because you have to be really good to go into family medicine, honestly, because you have to be able to deal with everything. Why is it so much more of a challenge, do you think, to go into family medicine? Because you deal with, they call it birth to grave. So you have all age groups. So they come in with a rash or they come in with chest pain. They come in with diabetes. You're trying to manage it to keep them from having to go to a specialist. If you can manage their diabetes and keep them from getting heart disease, then they'd never need a cardiologist. You really have to have that broad everything in family medicine. What gave you the confidence being a student and a medical student and you have all these people that are older than you and it's your professor so they're supposed to know more but they're telling you don't even consider that. What gave you the confidence to say no I'm still going to go for it? Because they lived in Omaha. I was moving back to Wyoming to small town Wyoming. So I wasn't going to listen to anybody who lives in the city. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Is that why you wanted to come back to Wyoming for your residency as well? Yes, I specifically chose Casper as my residency program because I knew I was going to spend my entire career in Wyoming, and I wanted to know the doctors that I was going to be sending my patients to. And that's why I chose Casper. And I still send my patients to those doctors. Tell me about after you got your degrees and finished your residency, how you ended up in Saratoga. I'd known about the retiring doctor, Dr. Lund, down in Saratoga, and that his practice was for sale. But at that time, I was reluctant because I didn't know if I could do it. So I went down and I talked to him and decided I could do it and that I wanted to live in a small town and I wanted to be back to where my parents were and family and my roots. At age 30, I bought the practice from him and never looked back. You're 30 years old, and you're taking on all this responsibility, this medical clinic. What was your practice like? What did your clinic look like? I took over all the staff that Dr. Lunt had, just carried over. At that time, it was me as the doctor, and I had nurse practitioners at first, and then PAs, physician assistants. I was the only doctor in 40 miles. The nearest one was in Rollins. And then I ended up starting to go up to Medicine Bow, which was 80 miles away. I had patients come from all over, honestly. You had a physical clinic that people would come to from this pretty vast area, 40, at least 40 square miles. And then some people would come from further away. But you were also running the ambulance and you were also running the nursing home. That is correct. At 30 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So tell me how you did all that. I have no idea. I look back now and I think I was just really focused, really determined. That was my main focus in life was doing that because that's what I'd worked my entire life up until. When I was in medical school, I chose family medicine because I wanted to go back to a small town and knew that I had to do everything to go to a small town. Everything was about going back to a small town. So that's once I got there, that's what I did. Yeah. It just must have been so exciting for you after completing your residency to already have this opportunity to, at that point, pursue your dream of having a family practice. Oh, yeah. I absolutely loved 
loved being there. I loved being there, and I went in with the anticipation that that would be where I completed my career, and it just didn't happen. But when I was there, I had amazing patients, and I loved being able to see them over the years age or not age or just be better and feel like I helped them be healthy people. I mean, I I loved them, and I truly did form some really good personal relationships with the patients. The joys came from seeing somebody get better when you take care of them and you see them thrive you see young kids thrive. And up until even when I moved to Matizzi, I've had people from encampment who are now young adults call me and ask me questions, medical questions. So I made an impact. I recently ran into a waitress that said, you taught me sex ed in high school. And I mean, it's, it's really neat knowing that you do make a long-term impact on people. So that, that was one of the amazing things, as well as I look back at some of the stuff I did on my own when I was on call, people with heart attacks and riding in the ambulance with them while pushing TPA, you know, myself, with EMTs, of course, or putting in chest tubes in my clinic. I look back and think, how did I do that? And I'm very proud of the fact that I really did have a lot of independence at that time and did things that save lives in the moment. You sold your clinic in Saratoga after 11 years. That was one of your original dreams to to be able to operate and have your own clinic in a small town. Why did you want to move on? I wasn't really anticipating moving on. I had pretty severe burnout at that time. And I started taking time off and trying to find something to help myself. Because of that, I feel like it got political around me that I was being perceived as not caring about the clinic when really I was trying to care for myself. Instead of anybody stopping and asking me, what can we do to help you, Diane? Instead, they just looked for somebody to replace me, and it was very hurtful. At the time, I was I was probably somewhat angry, but it was more hurtful than anything because I was doing what I needed to do. I was trying to maintain the clinic. I was trying to find a way to fulfill myself again and I just had to leave very quickly and like I said I I felt really lost because I didn't anticipate leaving and I was pretty much at that point felt like I had to go that it just that chapter had to close. When you're in that healthcare field your job is to care for others and did you just find that and when you were in that situation you weren't giving anything to yourself? Absolutely. They, you talk about the, you give out of your bucket, but what fills your bucket back up? And there were some Band-Aids, but nothing really filled that void that I had in myself. When they say in college, make sure you have a hobby, people need to take that to heart because I never had hobbies. School and getting to medical school was my hobby. And to this day, I struggle having a hobby that I love. What do you think is the biggest challenge to serving these rural communities just in general, you know, where you have less resources and the talent, you're, you're further away from some of these bigger hospitals. I think the biggest challenge is professional isolation by far, because when you're the only doctor and you don't have anybody around you, you could call people, but you don't have them walking down the hall and say, hey, can I bounce something off of you? What do you think of this? And they don't know the same patients you don't work in the same system, you really are isolated. And when I was in Saratoga, that was part of the reason that I was on the Board of Medicine. I was on the WAMI Admissions Committee. I did everything I could to be involved in 
things outside because I had no contact with other medical professionals otherwise. You chose to go to this pretty rural part of Wyoming and just figure it out. So why were you so attracted to that to begin with? I wanted to go there because nobody was there. I like to be the person who does things when nobody else is available to do things. I'll fill that spot. That's why I started the clinic in Matitsi too. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. You worked in Saratoga for 11 years running your clinic to the point where you did just kind of give everything you had. And even though you didn't expect to find yourself back in Matitsi, life kind of works in mysterious ways sometimes. So talk to me about getting back to Matitsi and really starting the next chapter. When I left Saratoga, it was a pretty quick transition. And frankly, I was pretty lost. I didn't, I didn't anticipate ever leaving there. And then I did. So I went and took a job at the Cheyenne residency program at first. And not that I didn't like my job there. I did like the job, but I didn't feel like I was making the one-on-one change with people that I like. Plus, Cheyenne was way too big. Couldn't live there. And Cheyenne is... Cheyenne, Cheyenne, 50,000 people. Way too big. (laughs) Way, way too big. You like to keep it under 500. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So when I was in Cheyenne, I actually, I came to a high school reunion in Matitsi. We have all school reunions every five years. And I met my husband. We hit it off and I started coming up here on weekends. And what I would do would be to get on the plane from Laramie on Friday night to Worland, then come to Matitsi and take the plane back from Worland to Laramie Monday morning and go back to work. And one day I overheard a conversation. Somebody was talking about the Worland Hospital. And she said, yeah, we, we have openings for doctors. That afternoon, I got a phone call from the CEO. And within a few months, I had a job in Worland. And a few months later, I moved to Matitsi to have my job in Worland. So part of negotiating my job to be in the clinic in Worland is I told them that I wanted to have a Matitsi clinic and they agreed and it might they might have agreed because they really needed doctors <laughs> so when I came up to Worland part of my time was spent in Grable at a small clinic there and then my husband and I bought a building in Matitsi and had to make it into a clinic then I leased it to the Worland Hospital who then in turn put me there to work one day a week I did that for four years And why start a clinic here in Matitsi? When I was a kid in Matitsi, kid meaning high schooler, we didn't have a doctor in town. And it really does take a lot to have to go to the doctor in Cody because parents have to take time away to take their child over. Older people can't have the transportation or safe transportation to get over. And I just wanted to fill that void that Matitsi now didn't have a doctor. In addition, I remember when I was in high school and I was writing an essay for a scholarship, I wrote that healthy communities are happy communities and that I wanted to come back to my community to make it healthy so it can be happy. And when did you write that? A high school senior. Do you remember writing that when you came back here? Was it something you kind of found afterwards? It was like I (laughs) was writing my future in a lot of ways. I always remember writing that because... I've thought about that many times over the years, Mm. that essay that I wrote. And I felt that way when I was in Saratoga and in encampment, too. A healthy community makes for a better community. After three years in Worland, an opportunity came up for me to transition to full-time ER, which I did. And that's working long, intense shifts, but having periods of time off. 
what then started happening is I kept I tried to maintain the Matizzi clinic while doing the ER I started feeling myself burn out again and so instead of pushing it aside and allowing it to happen I knew enough about myself this time to do something. I went to the West Park Hospital and asked if they'd like to buy my clinic so they could put somebody down here. And they they did. They bought my clinic here, and they now have a nurse practitioner that comes down and staffs it. So I could transition out of the Matizzi clinic, but the medical care in Matizzi was maintained, which was important to me. And so now I just work the full-time ER, which is 48 hours a week still. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> it's not like you're not working long hours still. It's just much more condensed, intense time frame. I want to talk a little bit more about your position in in Worland and working in the ER. Was working in the ER ever on your radar previously? When I was in medical school, emergency room as a specialty was pretty new. And so it wasn't something that people went into at the time. But when I look back in residency in Casper, my ER rotation there was one of my absolute favorites. I used to moonlight on some weekends, actually in Worland, and I loved ER on the weekends. So I, I guess I don't know why it never crossed my mind to do emergency room medicine because I, I love it. But at the same time, I did a lot of emergency type stuff when I was in Saratoga. So it kept me in the game for that type of thinking. And Worland's a small town too. So Tell me what it's like when you're working in the ER, because while you have a little more support of the hospital, you're still having to be pretty self-sufficient and kind of deal with it, anything that comes in. So talk to me about your experience as an emergency room doctor now. It is. It's just that the emergency room is staffed by one physician, one nurse, and one tech. You could have one patient come in at a time. You could have eight patients come in at any time, and you have to triage, and you have to deal with multiple physical complaints of patients at one time, and you could have two very serious things, and you have to try to manage your resources. And thankfully, we do have a lot of good support staff at the hospital in lab and x-ray and nursing and anesthesia. Unlike when I was in Saratoga, I had to do all that stuff myself. (laughs) Um, On one hand, it it feels like a luxury compared to what I'd known, but at the same time, we really don't have a cardiologist. You don't have an orthopedist that's right there. You don't have the specialties that you could rely upon to just come take care of a patient. So when a patient comes into the ER, you have three things you can do. You can discharge them home, you can put them in the hospital, or you can transfer them to a higher level. And trying to do that all in a a quick time frame can be pretty hectic sometimes. Yeah, sounds like you just have to figure it out. And our ER is not as busy as some of the big cities. So we can work 24-hour shifts, but when you go in for a 24-hour shift, you might be working 24 hours. Generally speaking, we you get a little bit of time to go to your room and sleep as they have a sleep room for us, but you go in knowing that you could be there the whole time. How do you manage the challenges that come in on a day-to-day basis, really having zero preparation on what your shift is going to bring? Anything could walk in at any given moment, and we've had some big things come in without warning because they're not coming in by ambulance. They just show up at the door. Every day I'm there, I feel scared at some point in time because there are things that I I don't know how to deal with everything, and I don't think anybody does. That's why you have teams at work on people and medical problems, and it's problem solving, and problem solving is one of my best suits. 
there's a buzzer that rings, you get that surge deep in your gut. I wonder what this is. When somebody walks in the door, and it's a small ER, so you see when people come in what they look like. You can know very quickly at first glance if it's something that you have to jump on right now or if it's something that you don't have to rush to. You can just see if people are really sick or not. Or maybe not everybody can, but I can. (laughs) Is it exciting to, when you hear that buzzer, is it like something goes off inside your brain where it's like, okay, here we go. Absolutely. I really love the intensity of it and how there's a beginning and an end to your encounter with this patient. And there's a resolution, whether the resolution is having to transfer them. You do, you get the beginning, the middle, and the end all at once. I imagine too, just for you having this time frame, the beginning and end of your shift must be pretty comforting to have that. Is that something that you can relate to where you're at now compared to where you were? Absolutely. In the past with family medicine, you're available for phone calls. You have ongoing problems that you receive questions and concerns and follow-up, which is why I went into medicine. As time has gone by in my career, I've wanted to move away from that, and that's what makes emergency room fit me right now is the fact that I now have children. I have a husband that we find time to spend together, and I want to be away from work, and that allows me to truly be off work when I'm not at work. Whereas those 11 years I spent in Saratoga, even if I wasn't on call, I was still supervising a PA. So I was always available. It was very difficult to relax. In terms of just that personal balance, what do you feel like has been most effective for you to find that? Time, just getting older, being able to look back on everything of my life. Because when you're 30 years old and you're just in the beginning of your career, you want your career. Now I have my career and I want my life. <laughs> and, and so it, it really, for me, it was a lot of years of, I guess, trial and tribulation. And now I'm in a perfect place. I mean, I perceive myself in a perfect place for the time where I have the best of both worlds. And for me, that's how I filled my own void was to be happy in both places, be in a job, in a profession I love and a job that I love, and to also have my home life that I love. You've mentioned filling the void throughout our interview, and that is the theme for chapter two. What does filling the void mean to you? Filling the void for me was reflecting and identifying those parts of myself that I want to have more of, or be better at, or the missing parts. And being able to reflect and find those and then work on those to me is filling the void for me right now from a personal level is just saying where what do I need for me and what do I need to be more effective for everybody else something that I learned today during our portrait session was that you're also a Reiki master so how did you get interested in Reiki and why did you want to pursue it in addition to all of your other training It was around 2006, and I went to a town celebration, and I met a lady was there that was doing tarot card readings and being a quote-unquote fortune teller, but she was a, a Reiki lady from Fort Collins, and I met her, and then about six months later, went down to have a Reiki session just to try it out, see what it was about, and that first Reiki session changed me, changed me from my core from the very beginning, and within a year, I became a Reiki master. It's 
improved my personal life. It's improved my professional life. Just having that intuitive quality that you get from Reiki. And what is Reiki for people listening that have no idea? Well, Reiki is a energetic healing technique to align chakras. It's healing via energy. What do you say to people that hear that or when you tell people that that are like, that's not real or that I don't believe in that stuff? What do you say to that? Everybody has the right to their opinion. And I know that a lot of people are still in that concrete thinking. I don't try to argue it. I don't try to persuade anybody the other way. All I know is what it's done for me and certainly has changed my life. I don't actively practice it at work. It's not something that I'm secretly doing on patients or anything. It's just, it's a personal thing for me, for my own intuition. And the way it it affects me with patients is that it's increased my intuition so I can identify subtle things about them, but it's not doing Reiki. It's just what Reiki's done for me. Going back to that essay you wrote in high school where you wanted people to be healthy because that leads to happy communities. Do you feel like you've helped pursue that? drive and that dream in your life? Absolutely. I mean, when you can have that one-on-one contact between Saratoga encampment and then Matitsi, you really feel like you've made an individual difference. And when you see people get better from something that they had, you know that they're happier. And interestingly enough, now that I've been there seven years, I'm forming personal relationships with some people that come into the ER because there are people that you see more than once, not because they're overutilizing it by any means. It's just they have illnesses that they end up in the ER with. And so I am getting to know some patients as well. You have fulfilled your dream of working in small towns and living in small towns. At 10 years old, know that you want to become a doctor and and also serve these rural communities. You've done it. So what does that feel like and what does that mean to you? Well, it's most definitely satisfying, but it's it's an interesting question because because I always knew I was going to do it. To me, it doesn't seem like it was anything out of the ordinary because I was always going to do it. And somewhere in my mind, I think, well, doesn't everybody do that? Decide something and then go do it? I mean, I couldn't ask for a better life than I have right now. That was Dr. Diane Noten in Matitsi, Wyoming. To see Dr. Diane's full profile and portraits, visit the project website at womeninwyoming.com. That's womeninwyoming.com. You can also follow the project and my journey on Instagram at womeninwyo. That's womeninwyo, as well as on Facebook at Women in Wyoming. This chapter is supported in part by the Wyoming Community Foundation, the Bobby Modell Charitable Fund, and the Equipoise Fund. Momentum is our nonprofit fiscal partner. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you've been listening to Women in Wyoming. Mm-hmm.